Hey everyone and welcome back to the Extras. My name is Jack. My name is Peter. Peter Baker, wonderful to have you, your debut on the Extras. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm keen to know, have you done any podcasting before? Is this a, you know just first time on the Extras or first time on the podcast at all? Yeah. Long time listener, first time <laughs> podcaster, haven't yeah. podcasted before, excited to be uh, on debut. Yeah, we're, it's been wonderful to start getting to know you as you joined our church a couple of months ago and really excited that we can spend some time talking over the word now, talking over people's questions. Yeah, looking forward to this. I'm keen, let's do it. Good to have you here. Um, for those of us who maybe need a bit of a refresher or who maybe weren't around or didn't tune in on Sunday, uh, could you... Just give us a bit of a recap. We're up to, this was uh, week five of Vision Month. Uh, you were preaching, Raj was preaching some of the other congregations. Just to give us a recap, what were we looking at from the Bible and from, from God's Word? Yeah, we were looking this time at God's great promises. And really the theme of what we were going over was that God has promised to bring back blessing to his creation. Mm. We're looking a little bit about what that means and how it is that God does it. And particularly we were zooming in on the first few verses of Genesis chapter 12, such a key moment in the Bible, really sets up the whole Bible story and the shape of our world and what God is doing in it. We were looking at how these verses, God makes a promise to Abram and those promises really reveal God's purpose for his whole world. God Mm. will bless Abram and through Abram, he's going to bless the whole world. Yeah, big promises there, aren't they? I mean, I find it such an amazing part of the Bible. It starts so small and then ends up so big so wonderful for us to get to spend some time thinking about that we had some good questions get texted in over the weekend Uh, we're going to tackle four uh, as we spend this time together Uh, to start with one that is a kind of a a good orienting clarifying question for us even as you're recapping it for us there peter use that word blessing Mm. a few times and genesis 12 that is the language that's there god says uh, to abraham i'll bless you i'll make your name great and you will be a blessing you have that word used a bunch of times someone's just texted in how would you define blessing? It's a great question because it is so important, that word and that idea in this important part of the Bible. Yeah. And I think when we want to know more about what a biblical word means, there are a couple of ways that we can go about that. One is you can run straight to the Macquarie Dictionary. <laughs> yeah. But that's not that's necessarily true. going to give you the best insight into how the Bible's using that word or what that, what that word means inside of God's salvation plan. Yeah, Bible writers weren't sitting there with the Macquarie Dictionary themselves, so... Yeah, maybe some, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Probably not, probably not. So, yeah, another way you can do it is you can go scout around a little bit just in Mm. the Bible story and see, well, how does that word seem to be used? Nice. So, if we look around a bit in Genesis, the context for these promises in Genesis chapter 12, we see that blessing is an important word, an important idea, as God is doing his creative work. So God, at various times, blesses parts of his creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, it's talking about the water creatures, the birds of the air. And it says, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. You get something similar happening for the human beings as well in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. God blessed them mankind male and female and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth so here it looks something like god giving permission and uh, ability capacity for the creatures that he makes to be what he's created them to be the birds can be birds in the spot that he's made for them the water animals can be water animals and human beings can increase and human beings can multiply on the earth so they're given the space to be what God has made for them to be. 
Yeah, giving them, as you said, giving them permission and the space to be what they've been made to be. Yeah, I like that. Helpful. Yeah. Great. I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier as well about um, how we might see that develop throughout the Bible. So you start there with Abraham, you know, looking back at the Genesis as well. You've got God creating, you've got God blessing Abraham and telling him he's going to bless the world. How do we see that develop as we work, you know, into the New Testament, say, as we come to see, see Christ? Yeah. Well, for example, we touched on this in the sermon, but in Galatians chapter 3, you have Paul uh, decide to tell us that the blessing that God promised to Abraham is something that is fulfilled in Jesus and fulfilled Mm. as people come to put their faith in Jesus. So he writes, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So blessing, the Apostle Paul says to us, is something that ultimately is fulfilled as people come to put their trust in Jesus. So as we trace along the Bible story, we see that the high point of blessing, the truest, richest kind of blessing you can have, comes in Jesus and comes through putting faith in him. Mm. So I'm hearing creation, God's kind of set things up that you know we might be free and empowered to be what we're made to be. And I guess sin is a problem and all that like so you have you know mm. cursing and then mm. god kind of restoring that and he's going to bless you through abraham and that comes in christ that's sort of the what are the words you just use for that's the climax or yeah fulfillment. Like fulfillment yes that's right yeah i mean one of the questions that raises for me is you kind of think all right god promised to abraham he's going to be you know blessing to the nations through him that's sort of happened in jesus is what galatians says to us and then you look at our world now and it doesn't always feel exactly like we're now, you know, able to be everything that we feel like we're made to be. And, you know, many of us may have all sorts of things on our minds around news feeds. You know, we have war in Ukraine. We have these devastating floods across Queensland, like, you know, plenty of issues and, and stuff going on. Like, how does this all this thing about blessing fit into how our world is still now, even 2000 years after Jesus came? Yeah, well, you mentioned the reality of sin and Mm. that sin brings a curse on the ground. And we spoke about this a little in the sermon, that the world is a world of weeds, a world gone wrong, uh, a world where uh, bad things happen. And this is ultimately traced back to human sin. The Bible talks about the age in which we live as the time of God's patience and forbearance, as he's waiting for people to come to repentance, to come to faith in Jesus and to be saved. So it's a time when creation is groaning, where the fullness of blessing that God has promised isn't available to us. Mm. The blessing of forgiveness in Jesus Christ is, but the full experience of living in God's recreated world where blessing is experienced fully uh, in Christ by all of us all the time, it's still something that we're waiting for. And so we're stuck in that in-between now, having the blessing of forgiveness in Jesus Christ but awaiting the blessing that comes with the restored creation. Yeah, that's, that's been wonderful. Yeah, I mean, we've done a, this is a real brief kind of survey, I guess, how this kind of theme develops across the Bible, but I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it's, it's there in the beginning. You know, sin has brought it down. God promises he's going to do something about it. He's done that in Jesus, and we're still waiting for the, the fullness of that, and that's the age we live in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoever asked that question, we hope that's, a, you know, it's probably a, a, maybe a longer answer than you expected, but there's a bit of, a, a bit of an in-depth look at, at what we mean when we come to that word blessing in the Bible, which is worth doing because it's such an important word. Yeah, it's such a yeah. crucial time. Yeah, thanks, Peter. We'll come to our second question now. Now, this is getting us into the narrative of Genesis. So this section we're looking at, God tells Abram, go, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I'll show you. Someone's texted in, why didn't God ask Abraham to stay and make his father's country a better place? 
rather than moving off to a new homeland? Yeah, interesting question. Why didn't God say, stay and make things better where you are? In a sense, I can't answer that question. Why didn't God do what God didn't do? Well, we need to ask God. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. But in a sense, we can perhaps get some clues if we, uh, like I was uh, suggesting before, if we look at the developing Bible story, Mm. we can get a sense of what God might have been thinking or what might have been God's purposes in asking that Abram go from where he was to a new land, the land that God would show. Yeah. When God's people Israel finally come into possession of the land and they receive God's law that tells them how they're going to live in that land, God's law makes it very clear that the idea is not for Israel to live next door to other nations and certainly not to adopt their practices. They're not supposed to be in that kind of uh, exchange with other people and they're not supposed to be gradually educating the nations they're living alongside. Israel is a holy nation. Mm. They're set aside to be different and distinctive. One of the things that's different and distinctive about them is that their national life is centered on the worship of the one true God according to his specifications, according to his law in the temple. And so the plan for Israel to be a blessing to every nation looks first and foremost like Israel being holy, being distinctive. And this is something that happens as they live in a land where they are the sole inhabitants, where they live according to God's law, centered around the worship of God. Yeah, okay, so you're saying maybe Abraham wouldn't have been able to do that if he'd stayed where he was. There's this picture of moving to this new place and this new context where they are the people there in this land. So that's this picture of them being called out of the nations and set apart. Like, well, okay, Abraham was called out to be brought to this new place. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, well, God is very, very wise. So I'm sure if God's plan was for Abraham to stay in (laughs) Haran or Ur of the Chaldeans, he could have done that. Yeah. But... Instead, we see God calling Abram to go, and we see that God's plan, which we have to assume is the wisest, the best plan, is to set up a society on wholly different lines. Mm -hmm. And again, we see that fulfilled in the church. The church uh, is God's new creation, cleansed by the blood of Jesus and brought together on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a new improved version of the society in which we used to live. Church is a wholly new group of people come together around the worship of the one true God, Jesus. Yeah. Now, of course, this raises some pretty complicated questions about, okay, but as a church, we do live amongst other people. We don't live in a special land where only church people live. We are living in the middle of a society that worships all kinds of other gods. And how does that work? And there are lots of interesting questions to be had along there. But I would want to suggest, I think, that the church being a blessing to the nations, though it may not look like us withdrawing from the nations into our own space, into our own society, Mm. where we're exclusively Christians, still for God's church to be a blessing to the nations looks first and foremost like being a holy people, a holy nation. The New Testament applies those words to the people of God, the New Testament people of God, the church as well. And so it's through holiness and distinctiveness that we actually are a blessing to the society in which we live. Yeah, that's the kind of 1 Peter 2 languages. And many of us would have looked at those verses recently in our growth groups. We've been digging into those passages, part of our magnification study and our mission studies as well, I think. And yeah, I remember being struck by that with my growth group as well, that we are a holy nation and yet we live all in the midst of different nations and we are a chosen people 
who live all in the midst of different peoples, which is just, yeah, it's, I think I resonate with what you say, like that starts to create all sort of conundrums for you, but you can see that, that language being applied to us as this, this, this possession, this people chosen by God. Yeah. What a wonderful thing that God set his heart on us like that. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Um, this question, I mean, just to add something, why, why couldn't Abraham have stayed? Um, resonate with everything you've said. The other thing that jumped into my mind is um, Hebrews chapter 11 makes quite a big deal out of Abraham's sort of journey, his big pilgrimage, if you like, you know, leaving his, his home country and going somewhere else. And um, Romans 15 talks about how what, you know, happened in the past happened for us, uh, you know, for, so that we may, uh, you get to quote the verse, hey, that'd be great. Um, you flick that one, Peter, while I've got Hebrews 11 in Got the pages rustling. <laughs> That's right. That's what we like. We always like that on the extras. You get to hear a bit of genuine paper action happening. Yeah, Romans 15, it's either verse 4 or 11. That's they're the uh, two ones. <laughs> Romans 15, verse 4, well done. There we go, yeah. For everything <laughs> that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Yeah, exactly. And I think you see everything God does, he does it to you know teach and instruct us and his purposes with Abraham reveal things about God and about our relationship with him. And the way that gets put in Hebrews 11, um, I'll just read a few of the verses here. So Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And a bit later on, it talks about how like the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, they weren't thinking of the country they'd left, verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And God's not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared a city for them. And I think the writer to the Hebrews there looks at the life of Abraham and sees this sort of paradigm of the life of faith, that Abraham left his homeland and was living as a, a stranger. You know, He was a nomad wandering around without a permanent place to live. And in that, there's this picture of the future that Abraham's longing for a home, but not a home on earth. He's longing for this heavenly home. And that's exactly like us now, us Christians today. We are not at home. We, you know, we, we, we live in houses, we, we live on this earth, but this isn't our true home. We're longing for this heavenly city, a city with foundations that will last. And so I think part of the picture is God called Abraham out of, uh, of the Chaldeans to give us this picture so that we would understand something of our uh, pilgrimage, our life as we await that heavenly country that is yet to come, yeah. Yeah, it's curious, isn't it, that Romans and Hebrews there both use the language of endurance when they're talking about the scriptures and the examples that we have mm. of those who've gone before us in the faith. They endured in faith. And that's the punchline in Hebrews. Mm. We need to endure. Yeah. We need to turn our eyes to Jesus. We need to run with perseverance the race. We need to have endurance to keep going. So in some sense, the answer to the question why did Abraham have to go is because we need to endure. Yeah. And so we need the example of someone enduring all the incredible hardships and frustrations and angst that that must have involved for Abraham. We have that example in the scriptures because God is kind and sets this before us as part of the cloud of witnesses mm. that show us what it means to endure in faith. Yeah, well said, yeah. We'll keep moving on. Uh, our next question, someone's asked, uh, now, Peter, you know, chatted about this a bit. We think this question probably relates more to Raj's sermon on the same passage. So someone texted it in, why does God not have favourites? Uh, now, if I'm understanding rightly, I, I yeah, was trying to remember. I'm not sure exactly what this refers to, but 
I believe that Raj said something about, you know, Abraham. He was this person who was sort of chosen by God and called out. And is that because God plays favorites? And he's like, oh, you know, Abraham's the best. I'm going to pick him. And I think Raj made the point. No, that's not the case. But yeah, would you like to expand on that, Peter, and, and share a bit of your thinking on favoritism? Yeah. Favoritism. Well, you know, I approve when I'm the favorite. That's okay, <laughs> I think. Yeah, fair enough. No. Well, the Bible is very down on favoritism, Jack. You'll be surprised to learn. Uh, really? It's Tell down me more. on it. It's down on it. Yeah, so, okay. James, for example, you know, a very key point there is that there's to be no partiality, especially mm. not uh, in favor of those who are powerful, those who are rich. It's uh, critical that God's people aren't showing partiality, favoritism to those who are attractive or who mm. might be able to benefit us in some way. And this is because God, according to the Bible, doesn't play favorites. God just doesn't do that. So, for example, Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 just says it straight up. God does not show favoritism. It's pretty black and white, hey? Pretty black and white. Mm. And so, really, the Apostle Paul makes that statement in the context of a big discussion that he's having and that all of the early Christians are having over whether the gospel is only for Jewish people. Mm. Or is it, as Paul says, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile? And Paul makes the point that if the gospel is only for Jewish people, then God plays favorites. Mm. He says this is not the case. Is God the God of Jews only? Isn't he the God of Gentiles too? Because God is the God of all the earth. He doesn't play favorites. And he doesn't play favorites in salvation. This is really traced back to the conviction that Israel's God is the righteous one. He's the judge of all the earth, and we can count on him always doing what is right. That God doesn't treat people unfairly. He doesn't play favorites because he is the righteous one. Yeah, yeah, helpful. I mean, to push a little further, I imagine some of our listeners will have in mind, uh, for us at St. Paul's last year, we're looking at Romans chapters 9 to 11 where you see how God chooses. God chooses people who uh, will come to him and respond in faith. And there's that language in Romans 9, um, uh, quoting the prophet Malachi, uh, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Like, I mean, that sounds a little like playing favorites. What's, what's going on there? Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it, that we have these strong statements really in the same book of the Bible. Mm. This insistence that God shows no favoritism, but also an insistence that God is the electing God. He is the choosing God. Perhaps it's worth uh, saying that election, God's choice, is the election of grace. Mm. God is not choosing based on some people being better than others. So it's before the twins had done anything, either good or bad. Yeah that God makes his choice. It's not based on merit. It's not based on God didn't like people with red hair. That's an (laughs) important thing. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It's based on God's grace. So uh, why did God choose Jacob? Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose Abram? Because of his grace. Mm. Was Abram better than the man who lived next door in Ur? No, he wasn't. But God chose him. Now, God chooses in the election of grace... For the sake of all creation, God chooses Abram for the sake of every nation Mm. to bring blessing to all. So while God doesn't show uh, favorites, God does make a particular choice for the sake of all because he loves all. Yeah. And so we have in Romans the sense that God 
chooses the Jewish people. It is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. It is through the Jewish people, ultimately through the true descendant of Abram, the Lord Jesus, that God does this work of bringing international blessing. Yeah. So God doesn't play favorites, but God does choose to work through particular a particular person, Abram, a particular nation, Israel, and ultimately one particular man, the Lord Jesus, for the sake of salvation for all people because God doesn't show favorites. He's yeah. just. That's very helpful. Yeah, I, think, I hope you can see those two things working together. Yeah, it's, God doesn't choose people based on preferential favoritism. It's, it's purely his sovereign choice and it has the whole world in view. Like, yeah, I think you put that together well for us. Yeah, thank you, Peter. All right, we've got one question to bring this home, and this is a good one, yeah. I'm, I'm glad this question came up. Uh, you uh, kicked us off, uh, Peter, in your sermon with an illustration about uh, about promises made, uh, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg and promises made over the years, uh, the metaverse, all those sorts of things. Someone's picked up on that and texted in, are technological advancements inevitably a curse to us and the world? Is it then ungodly to work in a field that obsesses over the technological advancement of humans like space exploration or AI technologies? Yeah. Is it just that tech is bad? Is it just that tech is bad? <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way when I'm trying to get my Bluetooth to pair. <laughs> it's part of the curse. This is thorns and thistles and all the rest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, there's a reason I didn't say in the sermon on Sunday that technology is a curse, because obviously that's not true. Mm. I think technology, one way we can think of it, is something like an amplifier. An amplifier mm. takes a little signal and turns it into a big signal. And similarly with technology, human technology turns up the dial on human desires, on the things that human beings want to do, for good or for ill. Technology gives us greater scope to do the things we want to do, and to do them on a larger scale. Yeah, so you have an axe, you can chop one tree or chop one person, you have nuclear fission, you can power a country or destroy a country, right? Like, you can see the it makes the effect bigger, that kind of thing. That's right. So hu technology originates with human beings mm -hmm. and amplifies human potential. And we learn in the scriptures that human beings are glorious things, created a step below the angels in the image of God, and that human beings have fallen from their place and corrupted by sin. Yeah. So if human beings want to sequence the genome of a virus and rapidly develop a vaccine and then distribute that across the globe, they can do that. If human beings want to murder civilians in another country, they can do that. Mm. Yeah, so technology amplifies the effect. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I mean, I think another thing that's worth saying is uh, Christians have always uh, been at the forefront. Maybe that's too strong, but... Throughout like the history of the church and the, the Christian story is a history of making use of technology to see the gospel go forward. So the printing press is a classic example that we often talk about that the Reformation of the 1500s happened at this time where there's this brand new technology of, oh, you know, you can, you can print a book. Like, you no longer have to pay a scribe to copy every page out hand by hand. You can just print them en masse and send them flooding across the, the whole continent of Europe. Like, that's one of those things that was really a force for good uh, that people were able to take this new technology and leverage it to see that... The, the word of God is printed and sent out there so that more people could hear it. I mean, yeah. right now, you know, we're coming to you on, over the airwaves. We're coming to you on a podcast. Like, we are making a podcast for good. Imagine that. That's right. Yeah, we hope so. We hope that this is, you know, us using the technology for your benefit and your edification. But, um, yeah, like, technology itself is not is not a, a bad thing. It's, it's you know, like, I think you said, said it really helps with it. It amplifies it. And much wrong can be done with it and much good as well. And so, working out how we 
use the technology we've inherited and uh, be a part of seeing that work towards good and towards the gospel going forward and towards human flourishing and I mean blessing in that big picture kind of sense he gave us at the start seeing uh, you know good happening across our society and our world like there's much good that technology can do so as Christians are thinking about thinking I think thinking about how we can see technology be used well for the good of people is something that we're keen to think about so I, yeah as to the question like if someone is thinking does that mean it's ungodly to work in a field that obsesses over technological advancement um, I think it could be uh, I think that uh, in those environments there could be plenty of people wanting to use technology for uh, for ill but there could be people wanting to do it for good as well so I think Christians being a part of those industries and seeking to use technology and shape that for, for the good of humans I think is really important I think I'd love to see Christians involved in the forefront of those things seeking to work out how can we help these things to help human beings rather than hurt them. Perhaps it's worth asking uh, what kind of aims is uh, my company or my industry pursuing? What mm. sorts of things is it looking to get done? And what kind of use is it making of technology toward those aims? So uh, if, my, uh, if my workplace is seeking to sustain the life of babies born prematurely and using a whole array of different technological advices to do that, I might decide pretty straightforwardly, this is a good use of technology that I'm very happy yeah. to be a part of. Sounds wonderful. There might be calls that are much more line ball. Mm. For example, if my industry is seeking to make profit uh, without producing beneficial goods or services and using technology in a way that creates instability in financial markets, I might want to say, well, uh, on balance, I think perhaps more harm might be being done than good by this use of technology. That's not the only position you might arrive at, yeah. but those are the kinds of things you might want to be weighing up. Yeah. By the way, that gives you a grid to start thinking about it. Hey, yeah, is this for the good of human beings? Like, that's a question that's worth asking. Absolutely. Yeah. That is the end of our questions. Peter, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to have you debut on the podcast with us. So glad to be here. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, as we head into this coming Sunday, uh, friends, we are going to be wrapping up Vision Month on this Sunday that's coming. We're going to be looking at Revelation 7. Uh, we're looking to the future seeing this wonderful vision of uh, people from every tribe and nation and language gathered around the throne of our Lamb, praising our Lord Jesus forever. That vision of the future is one of the things that we want to see propelling our church. Magnifying God in the age to come, Jack. There it is. There's the, our magnificent magnification faster, getting that, which is, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the future that we're all looking forward to. Actually, when you think about it, most of us in pastors are out of a job once we get to heaven, but your role continues, eh? Not me. See you around the throne, everyone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Very good. Um, another thing to say, uh, you'll hopefully you'll have heard this in other ways by the time you listen to this podcast, but we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about uh, our, our aim coming out of Vision Month for, for people across St. Paul's to be indicating how, uh, how much they're hoping to give to church across the year ahead. Uh, we're looking for this Sunday to be the time when we make those pledges and fill out those forms. So let me encourage you, if you haven't already, to be praying about that, to be thinking about your finances, to be talking to others in your family or your spouse if you're married. And as we come together on Sunday, uh, you can fill in the form, find it in the vision book before then, or we'll have time for that on Sunday as well. So looking forward to that time with you too. God bless. Uh, we will see you then. Thanks, everyone. Bye.